my frustration with the Packers, and maybe Rodgers' frustration too, it's not necessarily tied to one event, but it's simply the entire last 10 years where we're just left thinking, like, figure it out. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. I got to update that intro. That's my bad. I forgot about that today until about 3.30. I'm like, I'm still using the same Aaron Rodgers thing. Although, it still applies. Are we not frustrated with the Packers over the last 10 years? Still? Yeah, a lot of great seasons, but it's been that one thing every year. So I think that that intro still does work. I'll try to get some catchy little joke today or some catchy soundbite. We'll hopefully, let's make a new intro for tomorrow. I'm going to write it down. Can you write it down too? Remind me if I forget. And text your call tomorrow. Keep me accountable. New intro. Because I think we've had that one for about three weeks. Nothing new on the Aaron Rodgers front, although I was perusing Twitter right before the show started. Rich Eisen, who does a great show, interviewed Brian Baumgartner today about the Aaron Rodgers situation. Yeah. Brian Baumgartner, the guy who played Kevin on The Office, who I guess is friends and a golf partner with Aaron Rodgers. I I think we've I think we're at the end of the string here. I think we've talked to absolutely everybody. <laughs> I think I think we've we've talked to every person who could know anything about Rodgers. Let's let's give it a rest. Nothing new in a couple of weeks now. Let's let's take a break. And I will switch the intro for tomorrow to make sure I'm not a part of this problem of just dragging this out endlessly. It's the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Graham Bills. I hope you had a wonderful weekend and your week is off to a good start. I want to start with the Brewers tonight, and we will talk about the Packers. We'll get there. Although I kind of want to steer clear from the Aaron Rodgers drama. It's difficult to talk about the draft or about the offseason or about the upcoming season without at least mentioning Aaron Rodgers. He's the most important player on the team who plays the most important position in American professional sports. So it's hard to ignore. I do think we can have conversations about the draft, and even about Jordan Love and about some other players and positions and situations. We can talk Packers without only focusing on Aaron Rodgers, but it is kind of an underlying theme. We'll do that coming up at 5.30. At 4.30, I want to talk about the Bucks because the NBA regular season is done. Uh, thank goodness. <laughs> thank, thank God. I love the NBA. It's probably my favorite league. But this needed to happen. This needed to wrap it up. Like, come on. Chop, chop. Let's get to the postseason already. Let's send some of these really terrible teams packing. Let's get the Rockets and the Timberwolves and the Thunder just out of my sight. I want to watch good teams in a normal postseason, which we didn't get last year. So I'm very excited, but I'm very glad that the regular season is finally done. We'll talk about the playoff picture, the play-in tournament, what's going on with the Bucks. That's coming up at 4.30. I do want to start with the Brewers, and you are more than welcome to be a part of it. 608-796-2558. You can tweet me as well, at Wisco Grant. Breton LaCrosse, right from the jump, says, Dude, guess whose birthday it is today? Brett, you're turning 35. Brett, happy birthday. Can we all wish Brett a collective happy birthday? And I know it was your daughter's birthday last week. You told me to give her a shout-out, and I completely dropped the ball. And that's my bad. We were talking about bunting, and I think I was in a bad headspace. So happy birthday, Brett. And anytime we have birthday for listeners, please. This is, a, this is a celebratory space for birthdays. Brett, I hope you're enjoying your day. It's beautiful outside. Go have a, a drink or a meal with your wonderful family. And don't waste your whole night listening to, <laughs> listening to me. That's my birthday advice, my birthday wisdom for you. I want to start with the Brewers. And I'm not going to lie to you. 
I went on vacation this weekend. Uh, right when the show was done at 6 o'clock last Friday, I was out of town. I drove about four hours, four and a half hours north, way up north. Uh, we stayed in Hayward for a night. We were up in Brule for a night, which you feel like you're on the edge of the world when you're up there. And I love fishing and hiking around the Brule and going up to the, the beach and being out at, at Lake Superior. Gitchigumi, as I prefer to call it. It was wonderful. It was very restful. I, I'm not going to lie. I didn't see the Brewer games on Friday and Saturday. No, I saw scores. We had good service at the cabin. That was clutch. So you get home at the end of the day, kind of catch up on everything you missed, which is pretty necessary for me. Even if I don't see it live, I need to be able to catch up and see what I missed and understand what's what's going on. And I listened to the game on my drive yesterday, so I was able to catch up, and I have a good feel for the weekend. And I thought, like, you know what? I'm just going to do the show. I'm going to BS, and I'm going to pretend that I saw everything live, and I'm going to act like nothing happened. But that's, come on. We, we, you know, we have a very open relationship on this show. Very honest with each other. I, I cannot watch every single ball game ever played every minute, every pitch. It's just, it, it's not going to happen. I need to go fishing every once in a while. I need to get outside every once in a while. So Friday, Saturday, I didn't see the games live. I was way up north uh, by the shore of, of the beautiful Gitchigumi. Yeah, I listened to a little Edmund Fitzgerald. I tweeted about it. Always, always listen to Gordon Lightfoot when you're up on the, the shores of Gitchigumi. So yesterday's game I listened to on the drive home and... Honestly, that worked out because yesterday's game was really the only one worth watching. Friday and Saturday were kind of they were kind of stinkers. I was very intrigued to see what the big story would be today around Wisconsin sports talk. Uh, what, what, what are we writing about? What are we talking about? Because it's not like there was one huge game or one huge defining moment from the weekend. I mean, think about it. The Brewers lost two of three. Sure, yesterday's game was exciting, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but I... I'm not leading the show, pounding the table about how the Brewers are all of a sudden an amazing team. They have kinks they're working through. The Bucks split the weekend. They beat the Heat on Saturday, and then they lost to the Bulls yesterday. I, I, it's always good to beat Miami. That feels good going into the postseason, but hardly a huge talking point, a huge story. And we have no news on the Aaron Rodgers front. So, and no hockey, basketball, or no, no Badger hockey or Badger volleyball, excuse me. There's always one person that wants to talk about that. So I was, I was curious to see what the big story would be today. So I'm listening to morning shows, and I'm like, eh, nothing's really doing it for me. I listen to Dave and lacrosse here a little bit. I'm like, all right, so nothing too crazy. A little Brewers, a little this, a little of that. Listen to Ebo and Madison, and I kind of just list around. I didn't listen to Dan this morning because I think Dan was out. I think Dan was under the weather in Eau Claire. So the best to Dan. I know his, his son got sick, and then I think Dan got sick as well, so hopefully he's back soon. So I don't know what Dan would have talked about this morning had he been in. But nothing was really doing it for me. There was no big story where I'm like, yes, that's what I want to start the show with. So naturally, I waste my day away on Twitter looking for something. And our friend Bill Michaels, who's on the network in the afternoon, uh, sent out this tweet. And it it stuck with me a little bit. It, It piqued my interest. He said, today, this is his show tweet, his rundown. Back from the Four Seasons Island Resort, which Bill was vacationing and broadcasting at. He says, have the Packers already made a move to deal Aaron Rodgers? which I'm, I'm assuming he's saying, do they have something in place? Well, I don't know, Bill. You tell us. You and Paul Allen, you're, you're breaking all the stories. Point number two, Brewers, don't let yesterday fool you. And Bucks lose the finale. Here comes the postseason. So Bill just kind of outlining what he's talking about today. The Brewers part interests me. He says, Brewers, don't let yesterday fool you. So he's saying, yeah, the Brewers scored 10 runs yesterday, and they won 10-9, to 9, a nutty game. But don't let, don't let that yesterday's game fool you. The Brewers, they still got issues. They still got problems. Don't let yesterday fool you. Come on, Bill. Let's have a little fun. Let's have a little fun. It's just sports. 
let's 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 have some fun with yesterday's game. Yesterday's game was a hoot and a half. It was way closer than it should have been. Way, they were up eight to nothing at one point. They end up winning ten to nine. Way closer than it should have been. There's a really realistic world in which they end up losing that game yesterday, if not for some clutch pitching late late in the game from the bullpen, who probably didn't even expect to go into the game until right until they had to go into the game. And some late clutch hitting by Lorenzo Kane. The biggest takeaway from yesterday was the offense got it going. They finally got some hits with runners in scoring position. In the third inning, Daniel Vogelbach, uh, a two-RBI double. Narvaez had a double with some RBIs in the fourth. Avi Garcia hit a bomb to center field in the fifth. Colton Wong and, and company scoring on pass balls and wild pitches. Right, Vogelbach, you, you like small ball, scoring runs on a fielder's choice. They scored on a wild pitch again. And then the big hit late in the game that ultimately did it, Lorenzo Cain, with a uh, two-run single with runners on base. That's what we like. Hitting with runners in scoring position. So if you, if you run down all the scoring from yesterday, thumbs up. Right, sure, there, there was some, some good luck type plays where I think at one point a reliever for the Braves threw 13 straight balls. Hey, smoke them if you got them, right? Like if you can score runs by loading the bases with walks, putting pressure on the pitcher and getting in with a wild pitch, isn't that what we want? That's what we've asked for? manufacturing runs and scoring on small ball. Well, there you go. There's an example of small ball and some examples of hitting with runners in scoring position. Daniel Vogelback and Lorenzo Cain, like I said, the, the two best examples yesterday. And Avi Garcia hitting Jack because that's what he does. The offense was there. And I think that Vogelback double in the third inning, which gave the Brewers a 2 nothing lead, I think that was huge. I was driving home yesterday from way up north. God, it was such a long drive. I was so bushed by the time I got back. And I was listening to the Brewer game first. On our, our Brewers Network uh, station in Eau Claire, Sports Talk 105.1, then I switched over to WKTY as I got closer to home. And a very interesting question posed by Jeff Levering to Freddie Peralta after the game in the postgame interview. Jeff basically asked Freddie, like, hey, didn't it feel good for Daniel Vogelback to get that RBI double with runners in scoring position to get that hit and to finally just finally get one? Because the Brewers, have, they've been scratching and clawing to score one or two runs. Didn't that feel good? Get a weight off your shoulder. I thought that was a good question, and Freddie Peralta agreed in his answer. I thought that was a significant hit, and, and maybe that Vogelback double in the third inning, which scored two runs, one of the few hits that the Brewers have had with runners in scoring position the last week or two, maybe that spurred something, and maybe they got, that got the offense cooking one way or another. Craig Council talked about it a little bit after the game, how the offense picked up yesterday for Freddie Peralta and the pitching staff. It was a wild game, but we hung on for a win, and the offense kind of picked up the bullpen and, the, and our defense, and, and that's been, it's been kind of the opposite most of the year, but the offense picked us up today. The pitching? I, uh, I, I don't even know how to describe it yesterday, but it needed picking up. The defense needed picking up as well, and yesterday's game completely flipped the script from what we've seen the first 41 games of the season, right? The offense helping out the pitching and the defense. And Craig Council says, you know, you do smart things, you have good at bats, and you're going to have good results on offense. I think a big offensive day, as much as anything, was important. We had great at bats at the top of the lineup. You know, Omar and Locaine, um, just great at bats, just kind of in the middle of everything. So a big run day and, and a lot of guys doing, you know, Avi did good things. Colton did good things. Bogey did good things. So Louie had three walks. So it's a lot of guys did really good things. Talk about quality at bats, seeing a lot of pitches and, and putting the bat on the ball. Here's your top three hitters in the lineup. Colton Wong, three of five. Omar Narvaez, three of four. Lorenzo Kane, three of four. If you get that from the top of your order, you're, you're going to be doing okay. Right, and Daniel Vogelback with that one hit as well, that double that, that really got things started and maybe you know a little bit of a spark for this offense. 
By the way, they did this all without a bunt yesterday. Well, I guess Colton Wong had an infield single with a bunt. He's he probably my favorite brewer at the moment, Colton Wong. You see that Avi Garcia two-run bomb to center field yesterday, by the way? That's why you let the man swing away, because he hits bombs. Move him over to second, get him over, get him in. Nah. Let him swing. He's a really, really good hitter. Take your shots. They hit on some of those shots yesterday. Now, the offense is there. As far as run prevention, um, <laughs> could have been better. Is that a good way to put it? Can't really blame it on pitching yesterday. I know they gave up nine runs, but it, that doesn't tell the whole story. Freddie Peralta was unreal. We're getting vibes right now from Freddie Peralta that maybe we got last year from Corbin Burns, where it's like, wow, he has the stuff. One day, he could really be a Cy Young candidate, right? Somebody in that conversation. And I saw people writing about that and talking about that a little bit. He looks fantastic. Six shutout innings, eight strikeouts, only one walk. That's the key for Freddie's becoming more efficient. Now, J.P. Fireisen hadn't worked in a week, so I don't blame him for losing command a little bit. Poor Brent Suter. Brent Suter comes in, does exactly what he's supposed to. Gets two ground balls. Luis Urias boots them both. Hits a couple of runs in. And then Freddie Freeman hits a grand slam. Like, I'm not going to blame Brent Suter for that. I'm not going to blame Freddie. I'm not really going to blame Fire Eisen either. Williams and Hayter then got the job done and, and wrapped up the game. Luis Urias and his struggles at shortstop yesterday kind of are representative of the Brewers' struggles offensively. Sometimes you need to have a plan. You need to have situational awareness. right? You need to know what's going on. And I think... In that seventh inning where it all went pear-shaped for the Brewers, where they gave up seven runs on only a few hits. Like, the Braves had eight hits, led to nine runs. That's bad defense, especially for Luis Urias in the seventh and the eighth. Scorekeeper gave him two errors. I, By my count, he had three. I'm not a scorekeeper, but you get the point. He had three miffed plays that really hurt the Brewers uh, on the scoreboard, including that seven-run seventh inning. And his struggles in the field kind of mirror what the Brewers are doing at the plate when they struggle. Like, they don't have a plan. Like, you're up eight runs. Just take an out. Literally, an out. any out that you can get, even if you give up a run, even if you have a chance at double play, just get the out. Forget the runs. Forget about them. You can get three outs a lot faster than Atlanta can get eight runs. Right? This is kind of a dark analogy, but it's something I thought today. If you're an ice fisherman, or you cross-country ski, or you do things out on the lake in the winter, you know what I'm talking about. When you fall through the ice, what do they always tell you? Like, you... Relax. Take a breather. Think about what's going on. When you fall through the ice, oh, you hit the cold water. Right? If you uh, pass away, tragically, it's probably not going to be because you freeze to death. It's probably because you're going to drown. Because you're panicking and you're freaking out. Like Luis Urias, let's let's say in, in the infield, he fell through the ice, right? Metaphorically. He starts flailing and, and, and freaking out. It's like, dude, hey. You're not freezing to death anytime soon, man. You're up eight runs. I did the research today. Uh, a human body, you got like 10 or 12 minutes before hypothermia really starts to set in. What's dangerous is you drown because you're not relaxed and you start freaking out. It's like, dude, you have an eight-run lead. You can give up three runs if, if that's what it takes to give up three outs. It doesn't matter. You can get three outs a lot faster than they can get eight runs, right? Similarly, if you fall through the ice. You can, you can drown a lot faster and you can freeze to death, right? It's a very, very dark analogy, but it's one that I thought worked, right? Craig Council talking about Luis Urias having a tough day, uh, speaking very candidly. Yeah, I mean, it was a bad day. You know, I think, um, you know, for Weicho, it's just, you know, that you, 
you know, you make a mistake and we're going to make mistakes out there. And then and the next one, you just got to go, go get it and go make a play. That's the thing we'll communicate to him. His mistakes have been in two games. He's played really well outside of two, two games. Outside of two games, he has been really, really well. That is throwing arm mm, worries me sometimes. But outside of two games, he's been really, really good. So that was yesterday's game. Thought we'd just talk about it. It was very interesting. There's a lot to talk about in yesterday's game. Very rich, a lot of content to dig through. Now for Friday and Saturday, those are the same games we've seen for two weeks. And the Brewers lose four to one, five to one. They got no offense, and their pitching's fine, but it's not shutouts, so they end up losing. I really wanted to focus on yesterday's game because it was a Sunday game. And I know and you know that all 162 of these games are equal and they all count for the same amount, but like let's be real. We care more about Sunday afternoon games, don't we? Right? It's a great way to kind of start the week. It's the end of the series, so chances are it's a rubber game. You're either going for a sweep or avoiding a sweep. A Sunday afternoon game carries significance. It's like B.A. and The Rock. They dress up a little bit nicer. They workshop jokes that are a little bit funnier. Right? Sunday games are a bigger deal. So if you can win on Sunday, you can carry some of that positive momentum into the week. Even if you lose the first two games of the series, I'd like to think that a win on Sunday still carries with you because those games feel just a little bit bigger. Even if they only feel like 1.3 times bigger, it's still significant. And I think it was worth discussing for 15 minutes to start the show, especially because it's a win. Brewers haven't exactly been stacking up wins. I think they've lost 10 of their last 14. Shush. Let's take a break. This is very out of character for me, but I actually want to defend Luis Urias. Brewers fans very upset with him yesterday. Let's, let's calm it down. I'll explain myself. Coming up next, more of the Wisco Sports Show after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. You're gonna make an error. You're gonna you're gonna make a bad play. Uh, you know we all under we all know that will happen for every shortstop as much as they handle the baseball. You know moving on to the next one and, and you know wanting it hit to you and being the guy is is the key to it. Wisco Sports Show. Welcome back. I hope you had a wonderful weekend and you're settling into the work week nicely. I'm trying to go about it with a good attitude today. I had a coworker comment about it today. She's like, well, aren't you peppy? It's like, well, guess we can either be excited to be here or we can be miserable to be at work. We will have time to be miserable by the end of the week, but nobody wants to start the week like that. If you want to be a part of the show, you can tweet me at Wisco Grant. You should follow me as well so we can stay in touch and watch and react to sports together. You can also text and call 608-796-2558. Be a part of the program that way as well. We're talking Brewers. They won yesterday, which doesn't erase losing two of three, doesn't erase losing 10 of 14. It doesn't erase the offense just kind of looking dumpy, for lack of a better term. But we're going to focus on the positive. Winning on Sunday is always a good feeling because you carry that momentum into the next series, into the next week, and Sunday games just feel a little bit bigger. I don't know how much bigger. I'd say a factor, maybe like 1.2, 1.3. Just a little boost, a little extra. It's daytime. Normally, nobody's doing anything on Sunday afternoon anyways, so you have time to relax and really focus on the game. Feels a little bit bigger. You have your uh, your uh, like your like Memorial Day weekend, your Labor Day weekend. You get your Mother's Day, your Father's Day. Just, just Games are a little bit bigger than life. I know Memorial and Labor Day is, is a Monday, but the, the weekend as a whole. You get what I mean. Those Sunday games feel a little bit bigger, so I think that's significant and something that's worth talking about. I want to talk about Luis Urias because he was getting dragged, dragged by Brewers fans yesterday. It was kind of nasty on social media. 
And I didn't see a lot of it, but I didn't spend a whole lot of time on Twitter. So if I saw it, it was there, and it was very, very strong. We weren't happy with the Brewers' shortstop yesterday. And it would have been easy for me to come in today and just grab the low-hanging fruit right on the tree and go back to my Orlando Arcia days. I, I still really like Orlando Arcia. I hope he does good in Atlanta. But, I mean, I, I, I say this all the time. I know when to let a good bit die, right? Neil Diamond. We, we kind of confined him to a week. We get one week for the Neil thing. It's the first week in April every year. That's what we decided. And then you move on, right? You have a running joke for a couple days, and then you move on. Uh, two weeks ago, we had fun for like two shows just quoting the other guys as much as possible. Then we moved on, right? You got to know when to let a good bit die. The RC a bit is dead. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm not going to slip back into my old ways. I'm not going to fall off the wagon. The RC a bit is dead. And I actually want to defend Luis Urias today. Weirder things have happened. Yeah, he had a nightmare day. And when Craig Council was asked about it, he didn't really even have much to say other than like, yeah, that uh, that was tough. Yeah, I mean, it was a bad day. Yeah. <laughs> it was a bad day. Yikes. He had two errors, I believe, in the book. He could have had three, should have had three. If you watch and you go by the eye test, he had three mistakes that cost his team outs, which led to runs, right? Yeah, he had a nightmare day. Could have cost him the game. But I'll defend him. Like, what's done is done. You know, you an investor or not. Like, Luis Urias' issue is that he seems to compound one mistake into another and then another and then another. That's a bad problem to have as a shortstop. Shortstops have to have a little bit of Jay Cutler in them in the sense where they'll miss the throw, they'll misread a ball, they'll fail to make a play, and they'll line up right again and say, all right, give me the ball, I can do it. You need to have brazen confidence to play shortstop because you're going to make mistakes. Shortstops handle the ball more than anyone. I guess excluding first baseman because they handle the ball in every play in the infield. But the shortstop always gets the ball hit to him. They're ranging both ways, left and right. They're covering a lot of space. And the throw is longer than the throw to be made from second base, for example. Shortstop's got a tough job. And shortstops are going to make mistakes. Now you want to minimize those mistakes. And you need to be able to live with them when they are made. Luis Urias has seven errors this year. And what's weird is they've all come in two games. And you might think, oh, seven errors. God, how can they live with Luis Urias? It's not really that out of the ordinary. I was looking at errors by position, errors by player. Now, statistically, the best shortstop when it comes to avoiding errors is Kevin Newman of the Pittsburgh Pirates. He's had the ball hit his way, let's see, 123 times? Zero errors. The Pirates are also trash. The Pirates are uh, 17 and 23. They're five and a half back in the division, which is really hard to do at this point in the year. Their run differential is nuts. The Pirates are minus 44. That's insane. But they have the best shortstop at avoiding errors, it seems. Now, all the way towards the bottom, you have Javier Baez, who has nine errors on the year. You have Jose Iglesias, who's a great shortstop defensively for the Angels. He has eight errors. And then Luis Urias is seven. Wait a minute. You're telling me that Luis Urias, the much maligned Luis Urias, has fewer errors than Iglesias and Javier Baez? Urias has also played more games than Iglesias and Baez. Not by a substantial amount. It's three or four games. Right? It's not going to be an hour, but 40 minutes, right? Okay, we're done. We're done with the other. We're done with the other guys. That's it. We're letting that bit die this moment. Urias has seven errors. And that might sound terrible, but it's right on par with some of the other premier shortstops in the league. Now, you can see the tools with Urias. When he's playing the field, he's really good at diving, knocking the ball down, making the stop. 
What he needs to get better at is situationally knowing where to go with the ball and how to go about getting rid of the ball. Because his arm is... It's a little bit of a wild card. He'll put one in the first row of the seats. He'll get up and fire, and you'll be like, oh, boy, there it goes. There it goes. And it's gone. So becoming a little bit more confident, knowing that he doesn't have to rush, he doesn't have to panic or freak out. Just take your time, make a deep breath, throw the ball. Right? You can see the tools. He has the range and the athleticism. I think he's mentally got a little bit better, but he's young. So much of it is mental. Situational awareness, composure, patience, resilience. And all those tools that, that they work on, but it's not quantifiable by getting in the batting cage, right? If you want to improve your situational awareness or your composure, it's not as simple as grabbing a bucket of balls and somebody hitting grounders to you, right? That's, that's a little bit more behind the scenes. That's stuff that they work on that us, as non-professional baseball players, we can't really wrap our minds around. Most important of all, Luis Urias is actually a pretty darn good hitter. Yes, better than Orlando Arcia, who I love. And you kind of need to look at the minor league stats to get an idea of really what he's capable of. In 2019, for the Padres, played in AAA. He's a 315 hitter. Just raking. I'm looking at his stats right now. He took a lot of walks, ton of RBIs. He had almost 20 home runs. 62 runs, 93 hits, a bunch of doubles, a lot of power. He's got the tools. It's about maturing, growing up a little bit, getting a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more casual, and knowing what's going on. Like, you could tell yesterday while playing the field, he was a little rattled in that seventh inning. It's like, hey, <laughs> Luis, you're up eight runs. Like, just get an out. Any out. You can get three outs a lot faster than the Braves can score eight runs. Unless, of course, you walk the bases loaded and then you start kicking the ball around and then you, you know, hang a breaking ball to Freddie Freeman. Then you can give up runs pretty quickly. But that's contingent on errors in the infield, of which Urias made two of in that seventh inning, and then another one in the eighth, all of them costing the Brewers runs. Got to be better at that. And we got to know that when you make one mistake, it's, hey, guess what? It happened, and it's going to happen again, but we're not going to dwell on it. Got to have that Jay Cutler mindset as a shortstop, right? Let's take a break. I want to talk about the NBA. I want to get into the Bucks. The playoff picture is set. I want to talk a little bit about the play-in tournament. And if you don't understand how that's working, I hashed it out on a sheet of paper, the best way to explain the play-in tournament. And I had to hash it out because it's not simple. I had to, for my brain and for my sake, try to boil this down into the best, simplest way to explain how this is going to work. The Bucks playoff run will start against the Heat coming up this weekend. But everything that happens until now should be really entertaining. I want to talk about that, why I give the Bucks all the credit in the world right now, and why one other team, I think, uh, just they just look like a bunch of cowards. Talk about that and get into the NBA and NBA playoffs. Coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show rolling on. My name is Grant Bills on Twitter at Wisco Grant. Text and call if you'd like 608 796 2558. Going to get back into the Brewers. And talk Packers after 5 o'clock. Going to attempt to avoid as much as possible the Aaron Rodgers drama. I have a couple of other things I want to talk about. The draft class. How we can best evaluate it. And what we might be able to expect coming up. I also want to talk about Jordan Love kind of individually. Not like, will he start this year? Will Rodgers be back? But kind of just him. Which is, 
it's impossible to do without a little bit of Aaron Rodgers for context, but we're going to do our best. That's coming up at 530 if you want to talk about the Packers. Right now, just a couple minutes on the NBA because the regular season is over. Thank goodness that needed to happen, that we needed to wrap that up. It was dragging on a little bit. Compressed schedule, too many games, injuries, inconsistent lineups, which made it a really tough watch. I'm just glad it's done. Like, my desire to watch all these games really decreases when it's not cold and depressing outside. Like, if it's if it's February 15th and it's below zero and it's dark, I'll watch all these games. But when it gets warm outside and the Brewers are on and we can talk about Packers training camp, I don't really know that I want to watch Lakers Sixers. I certainly don't want to watch Lakers Sixers if Embiid and Simmons are out and Anthony Davis and LeBron is out. What is the point of that? What, am, what is my return on investment from watching that game? Knowing that if the, the NBA Finals include these two teams without the four best players, that's what it'll look like. I'm not wasting my time. And it felt down the stretch of this season. It That's what it started to feel like. Like, what, what, what are we doing here? Let's just fast forward to the playoffs. Let's get there. And we've reached that point. And on top of this bent out of shape schedule that the NBA played so many games in so few days, they're instituting this play-in tournament this year, which I love. But I, I kind of wish they maybe would have started it in a normal season. And it's it's bad luck. Don't get me wrong. Like, nobody planned for a pandemic. Nobody planned for the schedule. But if this play-in tournament would have started and coincided with the beginning of a normal season, I think people would be a lot more receptive to it. I think people are a little jaded. It's like, oh, you make all these players playing all these games this year, and now the play-in tournament. It's like, well, sorry. It's just the way the cookie crumbled. Might be a little rocky, but it's the right move. It's not super simple, but it's not that complicated. I'll do my best to explain it. Basically, at the bottom of each conference, they're giving four teams an opportunity to grab hold of two spots. In the West, the Lakers, the Warriors, the Grizzlies, the Spurs, those four teams, 7, 8, 9, 10, are fighting it out for the 7 and the 8. And in the East, the Celtics, Hornets, Pacers, Wizards are also fighting for two playoff spots. So this is how it works. The 7 and the 8, the Lakers and the Warriors, they play. The winner is in as the 7 seed. Simple as that. They would go on to play the Suns, who are the two. Then the loser of the 7 and 8 game plays the winner of the 8 and the 9 game. The winner of that game goes on to be the 8 seed. They play the Jazz, and the loser is out. Basically, if a 9 or a 10 seed wants to get into the postseason, they have to win twice. If a 7 or an 8 seeded team wants to get into the playoffs, they only have to win once. So the Lakers theoretically could lose to the Warriors. The Warriors would then go on to play the the Suns as the 7. And then the Lakers could win the next game and be the 8. Does... Does that make sense? Two teams, four spots. The nine and the 10 teams have to work a lot harder to get in. It's the exact same in the East. The winner of the seven and eight winners of Celtics Hornets is in. The loser goes to play the winner of uh, Pacers Wizards. It's, it's sounds complicated and it's difficult to talk through, but I guess it makes sense once you think about it for a couple of times. All of those teams have an opportunity to get into the playoffs. Some just have to work a little bit harder because of the seating. I think that this is going to give us more compelling basketball. And I think there are some good teams Tucked in there. The Warriors with Steph Curry. The Lakers are great. They're the defending champs, which is certainly going to be an outlier, I think, as far as this playing tournament goes in the future. And the Wizards, the 10 seed in the East, I think they're fun. Like, I wouldn't really want to see the Wizards. I think that'd be a pain in the butt. I don't think they're going to upset anybody, but they'll be a pain in the butt. Relevant basketball. It's like the playing tournament for March Madness. Right? If you have relevant teams in that first four who can go the distance, I think that makes for really, really compelling basketball. Now, I don't know if this playing tournament has had an effect yet. Like, Warriors-Grizzlies was an awesome regular season game yesterday. But I, I think that game would have been amazing and compelling even in a normal season, in, in the normal format. I was listening to Ryan Rosillo's pod with Bill Simmons earlier today, and, like, he didn't want to 
rain on everybody's parade, but he's like, you know, I'll do my best for Silo. You know, that uh, that game would have been just as good in a normal format. Like, in a normal year, it would have been would have been the exact same. And it would have. I just, I'm just going to enjoy it. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to complain about it. Like, this, I think this playing tournament's going to be really, really fun. It's had some consequences. I don't know if they're intended or they're unintended, expected or unexpected. For example, the Clippers. The Clippers lost to the Thunder yesterday, very much by design. The day before, they lost to the Rockets. For perspective, if you don't watch a lot of NBA, the Thunder had lost 23 of 24, and the Rockets have won five times in the last 49 games. Like, come on. They essentially took a dive for two straight games to make sure they didn't have to play the Lakers, not just in the first round, but not in the second round either. They're on the other side of the bracket. So the Clippers said, we don't want to mess with the Lakers If we see them, we'll see them in the Western Conference Finals. I normally don't say things like this, but I think it applies in this scenario. This is such a beta move. This is a team essentially admitting that they're scared of a team that they they once promised to dethrone. When all those players showed up in L.A., the Clippers and and Steve Ballmer, the owner, and everybody was like, hey, we're going to take over L.A. We're going to buy our and build our own new stadium. We're the new team in L.A. Now you... You lose to the Rockets and the Thunder just to avoid playing the other team in L.A.? Boo! Lame. Really, really lame. And a total beta move. I think that's more something Ebo would say. Although Ebo's show is called Over the Line, so it's a little bit more aggressive. I think that fits. Normally, don't go alpha beta, but I think in this instance, it applies. And that's why I have to give the Bucks all the credit in the world. They could have tanked on Saturday, and they didn't. They played the Heat, and they won. They rested yesterday. Okay, well, it was the Bulls and everything was decided. Still undefeated at Pfizer Forum against Central Division opponents, by the way, because the Bulls beat them at the United Center yesterday. I think that's significant. So they went 11-1 against Division opponents this year. Not a perfect 12-0. Sad. The Bucs could have taken a dive on Saturday and maybe avoided the Heat, and I'm glad they didn't. And sure, the Heat beat the Bucs last year, and sure, they're an intimidating team the way we see them. But Brooklyn is really good, too, and Philly is really good. I think both of those teams are way better than Heat. Heat are the sixth seed. If you're taking a dive to avoid playing a sixth seed, what does that say? Imagine having title aspirations and obviously going to lengths to dodge a sixth seed. A sixth seed. In the case of the Lakers, they're the seven. And the Clippers are like, nah, we're going to tank two games because we don't want to deal with that. That's, that's a beta move. It'd be one thing if you were a middle-of-the-pack team like the Knicks. Not to dog on the Knicks. But the Knicks don't have title aspirations. They're just happy to be back in the postseason. If they can win the first round, hey, awesome. It would be one thing for them to try to dodge somebody to further their playoff chances a little bit. But the Bucks or the Sixers or the Nets or supposedly the Clippers, these teams all have title aspirations, and you're going to take a dive to avoid playing a seven seed? Oh, that's a tough look. And I think you're sp- – I think when you when you tank a game like that, you almost you almost paint your own path. Does that make sense? You almost pave your own road. You're saying, well, we don't believe we're good enough to beat the Lakers. And it's under that understanding that now we proceed into the postseason. Like what if you're a soldier going to war and you're trying to win a battle and right from the jump is you're running into battle. You admit like now we're probably not as good as these guys. and Really like to avoid them if possible. Maybe we can maybe we can work for strategic retreat. Like, what does that say? You can't go into battle. You can't go into the postseason with that admission, with that hanging over your head. Boo! I actually think, this could be famous last words here. I actually think a first-round matchup with Miami could be good for the Bucs because the last two years, they played Detroit, who they smoked. Last year, they played Orlando, who they beat. Probably not as bad as they could have. They lost in game one, but Orlando was just that bad. 
Miami's going to be a little bit of a tougher first-round matchup. And the Bucs need to show some more fight this year because they had no second punch against the Raptors. They, As soon as the Raptors started triple-teaming Giannis, they had no clue what to do. They had no second pitch whatsoever. That was a bad look. That was frustrating. And then last year, Miami kind of got after him. I think they got in their head, got in their grill. They won some close games, and the Bucs just kind of folded. And maybe those were unique circumstances in the bubble. Maybe not. I don't know. My point is, I think it would maybe be best for the Bucks to engage and start fighting a little bit early, getting the fray a round or two earlier. And they have that opportunity by dealing with their nemesis, the Miami Heat, right away in round one. I'm glad they didn't take a dive to avoid him. Now, maybe that could be, you know, famous last words, like I said. Maybe they could uh, end up losing to the Heat, and I sound like an idiot. Maybe. Whatever. If they lose to the Heat, they got bigger problems anyways, and probably something that'll be addressed in the offseason. Let's take a break. I want to get back into the Brewers, talk some Packers at 5.30 as well. More of the Wisco Sports Show after this. talk about Tim Tebow joining the Jets. I feel like I'm the only show that hasn't talked about that, or not the Jets, the Jags. I think everybody's obsessing with that. I tried to watch ESPN for like 20 minutes this morning just because I wanted something on when I was eating my breakfast. I'm like, Tebow? Do we really give a damn? Scroll through Twitter over the break. You can find me at Wisco Grant. It's like, everything's about Tebow. Who who cares? I I didn't realize that having a Tebow take this week was a requirement. I feel like every radio and TV person has their Tebow take. I don't care. Although it's so funny to watch everybody get bent out of shape about this. It's the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. I mean, we could talk about Taysom Hill. He was kind of our own Tim Tebow or what the Jags seemingly want to do with Tim Tebow. Talk about the Packers. Let's avoid Taysom Hill. There's a couple toxic conversations that always go south, right? Talking about bunting, talking about Taysom Hill. What's the toxic conversation with the Bucks? Chris Middleton, a real number two. That's always a heater. That always gets people going. You can get going on the talk and text line, 608-796-2558. Call and text. Tweet, like I said, at Wisco Grant as well. Yeah, I don't I don't get the Tim Tebow stuff. Former Jets teammate Greg McElroy recently called Tebow signing to play tight end a stupid move, quote-unquote. Good. Mike Florio putting that story out. That's the content we need at 5.37 p.m. I want to talk about the Packers. Um, and I, as I said to start the show, I went up north on vacation this weekend, way up there. Had some in- incredible time for reflection. The shores of the Gitche Lake Superior. Amazing place to reflect, think about things. Will Aaron Rodgers come back? Right, what, who is Aaron Rodgers? What even is a quarterback, right? What are we? What is this crazy thing we call life? And what role does football even play, right? Just getting in, getting in the weeds on things up there in the silence of the Northwoods. And when I was up there, I was fishing, not doing a lot of catching. I think I thought of a couple interesting questions. Just things to chew on. Well, not literally. But actually, like, topics and questions just to think about. And we're not going to solve these problems. We're not going to solve these questions here and now. But it's something over the next week or two. When you're at work and you're supposed to be doing work, but your brain's like, nah, not today. And you're like, okay, well, it's only 2 o'clock. How are you going to get to 5 o'clock? We'll just think about this stuff. Things to reflect on. I'm asking questions here when I bring up these topics. That's all I'm doing. Trying to be a better, smarter, more consistent fan. Trying to be better in the way that we react and follow and judge our teams, right? 
So I have two things that I was thinking about this weekend, two things that I, I want to discuss. Number one is, is the draft and how we judge a draft and how we put a grade on a draft. I always think that's a little bit overrated. It's like A minus, C plus. It's like, okay, well, that's, that's kind of a crock of you know what. But we do need to be able to draft and we need to be able to, excuse me, judge the draft of our teams. Like a, a lot of people think that you got to wait years to judge a draft. It's like, well, they got the players. I guess we'll wait and see how it plays out four years down the road. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's fair. If you went to an investment broker, you gave them your money, right? You expect to see some return on investment. You expect to get some sort of feedback or confirmation that what they're doing with your money is wise and smart. Now, if I'm investing in a Roth IRA, I'm not getting those returns. I'm not withdrawing ideally for years and years and years, like a long, long time, way longer than an NFL career. But for a front office to say, well, we drafted these guys and get back to us in 2026, you know, we'll see, see how they work out. I don't, I don't think that. I think that really helps take pressure and criticism off of the people who are in charge of these decisions, decisions that are really important to the long-term health and, and level of competition of a franchise. Right? Some say you can judge a draft class right away. Some say you need to wait years. I, I'm somewhere in the middle. This is what our friend Matthew Collar, Purple Insider, had to say about this last week. Well, I would say this, that you're doing an absolute disservice to everyone that listens to you if you are not evaluating what your team just did. And, and if, you're, if you're saying, like, oh, I'll wait until you in 2024, mm-hmm. did anyone tell me about the 2016 draft this year? Because <laughs> I don't remember that. I, you know, it's just sort of funny. I think, like, what are you, like 80 years old if you think of things that way? I mean, look, like, we can't effectively say how all these things will turn out. I mean, so how about this? I mean, the Vikings draft the first-round corner that we were all – uh, giving them high grades for last year, and then he has a terrible season and commits a domestic assault, allegedly, in the offseason. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of things that you can't see coming, but can you judge the process of what your team did? Of course you can. Can you look at your team and say uh, the Vikings got great value by trading down, taking their left tackle, and then getting two third-round picks? Yes, you can. Can you say the Vikings probably made a mistake by not jumping over the Bears or topping the Bears' offer and getting Justin Fields, you absolutely can. That doesn't mean I'm sure Justin Fields or Mac Jones becomes the greatest quarterback in NFL history. It's just that when you judge the process, you can, you, you can absolutely evaluate what your team decided to do. Judging the process, that, that is the crux of this. That interview a week ago, two weeks ago, Matthew Collar, Purple Insider, who's become one of my favorite guests to have on, and he was really riled up that day. It's about judging the process. The results may or may not pan out, and it's the same with investments. I think that's a good comparison. If you go to your financial advisor and you say, I want to invest this much money, they'll say, okay, well, this is what I think we should do, blah, 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 blah. And you come back, you know, a year later, and it's not going so hot. Well, it doesn't necessarily mean that they were the wrong investments. It means they haven't played out yet. The process was sound. The results weren't there. There's luck that's involved in investing too. So you're not judging the results, at least not fully. We're look at the process behind the way you got those results. It's like, did your financial advisor take your money and take it to the slot machine and double it? Okay, well, that's great results. I don't know if I'm going to take any money back to that financial advisor. Well, did your advisor put it into this mutual fund and this stock and certificate? You, know, you tell them really at the end of my leash with finances here, right? 
Maybe they only make you a little bit. Okay, well, maybe the return isn't huge, but the process is sound. They're making the right decisions with your money. I think it's very similar with NFL teams. And I've just, I've just noticed some inconsistencies in the way that the Packers draft. And I just, I want to talk about them. Like, I don't think this is hating. I think this is thinking critically and looking critically about the way that our favorite NFL team goes about a really, really important task every spring, which is building the core and, and adding talent to the team through the NFL draft. Let's just compare the 2020 draft to the 2021 draft, okay? So 2020, they go quarterback, halfback, tight end. They didn't have a first rounder. Then they go linebacker, and then a bunch of alignment at the bottom of the draft. And I guess they got like Jonathan Garvin and Vernon Scott. So they got an edge and a safety at the end too. Everybody, set the Jordan Love pick aside because that's kind of, I don't know... That kind of shadows over the whole draft. Ignore the Jordan Love pick, although it kind of it kind of works, right? It's a it's a draft for the future, We're building for two or three years down the road. And Packers fans all rallied around and said, "Great draft, great draft." We're building for the future. We're looking two or three years down the road, right? Drafting starters, drafting starters is overrated. You never want rookies to start for you, right? That's a bad. You don't want to have inconsistent players starting. That's bad. No, 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 no. We don't want to do that. Right, only dumb teams draft for need. Only dumb teams draft starters. Okay, that was last year. And then in 2021, everybody says, hey, great draft. Awesome draft. You got three or four guys who can start for you right away. Eric Stokes at corner, right? Josh Myers at center, Amari Rogers at wide receiver. Great. Instant impact in this year's draft. Excellent draft. Okay. So so which is it? Do you get what I'm saying? Like, Eric Stokes was a reach. I'm not saying he's going to be a bad corner. I'm not saying that he can't help this team and he can't be good and, he, like, he can't start. But he was not the 20... Where did they pick? 2030? I don't even remember. He was not the 30th, let's say, best player on the board. A lot of people had him in the 30s or the 50s. They had him farther down. But the Packers decided, we need a corner. we got to get a corner, so we'll take him. Need a starter. As opposed to a year ago when the Packers said, uh, we'll take a quarterback that ideally won't play for three years and we'll take a third string running back and we'll take an H back. You know, I'm not saying either way of going about it is right or wrong. But the Packers have been a little bit sporadic in the way that they've drafted the last two years. And I think we've been sporadic in the way that we have reacted. Last year, great draft, all for the future. Got guys who won't play for two or three years. Great. I don't want to start rookies anyways. And then this year, they get Eric Stokes, Amari Rogers, Josh Myers, and we're like, great. Instant impact, they can start right away. Amazing draft. My thought, honestly, after they picked Eric Stokes, why did we do that last year? Like, you see, it's not that hard. Draft a guy at a position of need who you can play right away. Okay, maybe he's a little bit of a reach, but the Packers are in a different spot as a team that's coming off the NFC title game. They're in a different spot than the Browns, who are certainly building in an upward trajectory, or the Lions, who are rebuilding. The Packers can afford to reach by a dozen picks or so if it's a player that they need to help win a championship. Right, That was my first thought after this draft. It's like, okay, I really like what they did, but why didn't they just do that last year? Just think of how good this team would be then. And I like A.J. Dillon. I'm excited to watch him play. And I don't know about Josiah DeGuar, but I'll cheer for the guy. and We'll see what Jordan Love brings to the table. But there's an alternate universe in which the Packers get another wide receiver, get a corner, get a defensive lineman in last year's uh, draft. And who's to say they don't have a 2017 Saints draft where everybody's impactful right away? And they don't win the Super Bowl. And we're not talking about any of this. 
that was my first thought after the 2021 draft. It's like, oh, cool, you got guys who can play. Why did we? Why were we so against this last year? It's like this organization flipped on its head. I don't know if it's to appease Aaron Rodgers. I don't know if they're backtracking after all of the pushback they got after the 2020 draft. I, I don't know. But do you get the disconnect here? It worries me. I, I, I say this all the time about the Packers and cornerbacks. They never draft for need until they need a corner. Then they'll spend all their picks on corners. It's like it's not it's business as usual. We needed a cornerback. What do you mean? It's like, well, you needed a wide receiver last year. You needed defensive linemen. You need linebackers. You need edge rushers. And you poo-pooed all of those. The second you need a corner, oh, boy, unload the first and second round picks. Better hope they're good, too, because if they suck, we are screwed. Well, it's frustrating. They love to be trust the board, trust the board, trust the board. Best player available, best player available. Oh, we need a corner, draft five. Ugh. Once again, have to see it play out, right? But I, but I think it's really ridiculous to say that we can't look at the 2021 draft and even the 2020 draft this moment and say things that we like, things that we don't like. Right? Now, some of these players might stink. Some might be great. But then again, like for the people who say that you only draft uh, judge draft picks years down the road, those are the same people who tell you to get over the TJ Watt, Kevin King thing. Well, it's years down the road. Now is the time to talk about it. No one wants to talk about it. Can't win with some of you people sometimes. Some of those Packer fans that are just always blindly saying everything is amazing and they're doing a perfect job. I and I have my worries, and we're hashing them out. I have another worry. It's about Jordan Love, and it's something that we've kind of touched on before, but I thought about this more this weekend. I think it's an interesting conversation. Let's wrap up the Wisco Short Show. Sports Short Show. You can tell I need a break. Talk about Jordan Love and why I think the Packers aren't maybe doing the best job of setting him up for success. I think they're betting on the one in a million instead of making a smarter bet, a smarter investment. Let's do that. Wrap up the Wisco Sports Show. Coming up next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. show my name is grant and i don't want to make it sound like i'm trying to dump on the packers that's not what i'm doing here but it's the off season okay we can either talk about the aaron Rodgers drama or we can really reach for the philosophical questions that keep packers fans up at night huh i would rather do that 608-796-2558 packers hater who i thought would be all over this scott stack but no you're disagreeing with me he says you're ignoring the context of the team and the year Never mind, Aaron Rodgers can do no wrong and should had him make all the personnel moves. Nay, 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 nay. No, sir. Aaron Rodgers make quarterbacks making personnel moves is so stupid. I, and I think we, oh my God, we always exaggerate this stuff to make our point, right? I don't think Aaron Rodgers is requesting to make draft picks and scout players. He just wants to be in the loop. All right, now if you have a problem with that, cool. Do your job. You're, you're paid to play football, just play football. All right, if that's your viewpoint, you do you. I don't agree with you 100%, but I see where you're coming from. I think we misjudge and we misassign meaning to Aaron Rodgers when we say that he wants to make all the personnel decisions. I don't think that's true. If he wants Jake Kumaro over Malik Taylor, I, um, is it really that big of a deal? Scott, that's not what we're talking about, but I appreciate your text. Thank you. It's nice to hear from you. It's been a while. 608 796 
the other thing I wanted to bring up with the Packers, two kind of philosophical questions that I was pondering up north this weekend, off the grid a little bit. I want to talk about Jordan Love, right? And to talk about Jordan Love, I think we need to think more critically about the way that the Packers and their front office and the decision makers think about quarterbacks, right? And how they've thought about quarterbacks really ever since the early 90s when they got Brett Favre. This isn't even really an Aaron Rodgers point, although he's a part of it. This isn't about whether Aaron Rodgers stays or leaves, right? This is about how the Packers address the quarterback position. There are valid reasons, whether you like it or not, there are valid reasons why the Jordan Love pick made sense. It wasn't completely ridiculous, right? He had value. For example, I would rather have the prospect of Jordan Love over the prospect of Mac Jones. Mac Jones went in the top 15, and Jordan Love fell all the way to the Packers. They saw an opportunity to get a player that they probably wouldn't have an opportunity to get again, so they grabbed him. Okay, I can see that. It gives them options at quarterback, something that's valuable, something that other teams would like. It gives you the cheapness of a rookie deal, something that's desirable from teams. And it all coincided at a time where Aaron Rodgers' statistics were steadily declining. It makes sense. You don't have to like it. I don't really like it either. But you can see how the logic plays out. You can you can do the math. Now, the logic and the math is great on paper. Once you involve real people like Aaron Rodgers, then it, it takes a southern turn, as it has. But you see my point. The love pick made sense, even if it wasn't popular, even if it's not going to end well. There are reasons why that, that pick was, was made. Okay. My problem with the pick, or let's just say question. This ain't even a problem. My concern with the pick is that everybody seems to expect 15 years of Hall of Fame quarterback play ended by a messy divorce. Okay, well, no, we, no, no, that'll happen. We're not expecting it, but that will certainly happen because that's the way the Packers like to do things. That's what everybody seems to expect. He's either going to suck or he's going to be amazing. 15 years, Hall of Fame. Awesome. And the Packers go from Favre to Rodgers and Rodgers to Love. That's the expectation, or at least that's the dream. A much more likely scenario is that he's decent. Maybe the best quarterback in the NFC North. He has a couple really, really good years. Has some down years, some good years. He's good enough to build around. He's Matt Ryan, right? Maybe not in build or in skill set, but in value to a team where he's not going to carry a, a bad roster, but if you get the right coach, you get the right roster, and you time it all up, you can contend. Right? His play style is different than Matt Ryan. He's a very different player, but the, but value and 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 role, similar. That's a much more likely scenario than 15 years Hall of Fame quarterback. It's much more likely he busts than he becomes a 15-year Hall of Fame quarterback. But that's what we put on his shoulders. The much more likely scenario is that he's a quarterback that you build around. And I don't know if the Packers operate that way. I don't know if the Packers are ready to build around a quarterback that can't elevate everybody else. I mean, hell. They couldn't build around a quarterback that elevated everybody else for the better part of a decade. The Packers prioritize quarterback and head coach. And once they get that figured out, then they do their thing. And I don't blame the Packers because for a long time, that quarterback head coach edge was 90% of the battle, right? That's how Pittsburgh was amazing for the longest time. And that's how Dallas was amazing for the longest time. If you just got the right head coach and the right quarterback, Holmgren and Favre, if you could just figure that out, you were going to contend for titles. And I don't think that's the case anymore. Right? Now, you can win that way. You can go read Mahomes, but Reed's one of the greatest play callers ever, and Patrick Mahomes might be the best quarterback to have ever done it when he's done and when he's retired. 
right? To simply get a quarterback and a head coach, it's a big part of the battle. It's important, but it's not the end-all, be-all. And I think sometimes the Packers treat it like the end-all, be-all. Like if we could just if we could just cash a lottery ticket of Jordan Love and get a head coach that we like, Super Bowls abound. And that's just not how the league works anymore. Look at the Browns and what they're doing around Baker Mayfield. I think what they're doing is a really likely scenario for the Packers where you get a quarterback who you really like. Maybe you pay. He's not top three or four in the league. He's not a Hall of Famer, but he's very good, and he's somebody you can build around, and you like the sharpness of your play caller. You like Matt LaFleur. But the thing that the Browns are doing, they're building a really smart roster. They're doing a really good job making smart bets at premium positions and finding valuable players and and taking advantage of other dumb teams. Now, they might not have the head coach or the quarterback that the Packers have. You can argue Stefanski, LaFleur all day. I really like Kevin Stefanski, but he's only been around for a year now. That's the much more likely scenario. That's the much more likely outcome than Hall of Fame quarterback. It's Jordan Love being pretty good, and you need to build around him. I'm concerned that the Packers aren't ready to build around a middle-of-the-pack quarterback. That's my concern. And then, when it goes south, and the Packers are, you know, 8-9 and or 10-7, and you know, at best, Packers fans are like, well, we didn't get the quarterback right. No, you're not always going to have a Hall of Fame quarterback. You need to be able to win without one, and I'm not sure that the Packers are prepared to do so just judging off of what we've seen recently. Does that make sense? Just something I've been thinking about, something to ponder. Tomorrow, I'm sure this will come up with our guest, Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus. He will join us. Always a a smart guest and always snarky. Ron Wolf made some comments today, too. We'll talk about that tomorrow. And, of course, more bucks, more playing tournament, more of the Wisco Sports Show. Same time, same place tomorrow. Talk to you then. (laughs) 